ButcherBox makes it easy and convenient to get the highest quality grass-fed, grass-finished beef, organic free-range chicken, heritage breed pork, and wild-caught seafood without any antibiotics or added hormones delivered straight to your door. For me, I love their ribeye steak with a smoke and reverse sear, their tender belly bacon, which is some of the best uncured bacon on planet Earth. ButcherBox partners with people, small farmers included, that treat their animals in the best possible way and never give any added antibiotics or hormones. When you join, you choose your box and delivery frequency. You can cancel at any time without any penalty, and ButcherBox delivers amazing and fresh meat right to your door in a 100% recyclable box. For a limited time only, get free chicken nuggets for a year and 10% off your first box when you sign up today and use the code WP. That's a 22-ounce bag of gluten-free organic chicken nuggets in every order for a year when you sign up at butcherbox.com forward slash WP and use the code WP. From some of the best elk hunters in the world. Across the canyon, pop up the other side and the wind is right at my back and blows right into it. I cut him off and say, I'm the best one, not you. I love it, man. I feel like I'm super blessed to call myself an elk hunter. To beat them at their game, to get them within that bow range, convincing them that I'm one of them. You've got to close that distance really quick on him. And if he's going to engage that much, that's a dead bull. Welcome to Western Contours Podcast. Sharing experiences, providing insight, and looking for solutions to become better hunters. Whether you're chasing bugles over the next ridge, sitting a stand out east, this is about passion. Pursuing our dreams of field, our lifestyle, the betterment of self and community, the enlightenment that comes from those moments spent in God's creation. Through these conversations, I hope you find insight, inspiration, education, and motivation to push beyond your limits. All right, so on with uh, Lee Hawk, hanging out, drinking a beer. Up in Canada, at least Lee is. I wish I was. I kind of wish I was up in Canada, but uh, going to chat a little bit about uh, Tooth of the Arrow broadheads and uh, what makes them the perfect broadhead. <laughs> we were just talking about that that uh, freakish anomaly, um, you know, caused by all of us looking for that uh, that perfect broadhead. So why don't you give us a little background, Lee, on on yourself first off, right? Because uh, you have. <laughs> You're, you're younger in years, but you have some some prowess in hunting, right? Some some phenomenal prowess. And sometimes we think that age or years in the field um, are better than a resume. And I'm going to disagree. I mean, just seeing what's behind you there and understanding where you've been and what you hunted. So give us a little background, man. Yeah, for sure. Well, I appreciate that. Um, I like how you put that because I often... I get, I get that a lot where people don't take me seriously because of my age or whatnot, but you know, it comes down to days spent in the field, not years. You know, there's a lot of guys who are 60 years old, but only hunt, you know, a couple weekends a year. But, uh, I guess aside from the point, uh, I started hunting, you know, I've been hunting really as long as I can remember. My dad is a, he's a big time sheep hunter, kind of travels the world chasing the sheep and goats and, uh, you know, that always interests me and it, it does, but I never really picked it up hardcore until I learned what the super slam was. Um, which for those listening who don't know, it's, uh, there's 29 big game animals in North America that you can hunt and killing them all is the super slam. And that just fascinated me, uh, especially when I learned you could do it. There was people out there doing it with a bow. 
So that really kicked it off. And, uh, that's what I've been chasing. I shot my first, uh, animal with a bow when I was 13. That was actually this cougar right here here in Alberta. And, uh, you know, that kind of just led me to where I am today. I've got nine of 29 with a bow. Um, and then in terms of tooth of the arrow, I hooked up with Luke Allison, who's the, he's the boss. He's the man behind the broadhead. Great dude. Um, I hooked up with him. I was on his pro staff for a couple of years and, uh, just love the broadhead so much that I, um, I just stepped in for kind of a part-time role with them running the sales side of things. And it's evolved to what it is today. That's awesome, man. <clears throat> I'm, I'm going to go back to it because I think it's important, right? Because of that discounting. Um, I don't think they would have involved you at such a young age if your resume didn't speak for itself. Right. I mean, you know, you go for a regular, <laughs> job interview or something. And, and it's, it's about the resume. It's not about, you know, tons of years of experience sometimes. So I think that says a lot, um, man, Alberta, dude, the, the opportunity in Alberta for OTC is phenomenal. Um, oh, it's unbelievable. The opportunity you guys have up there, man. Um, it's, (laughs) it's something that, I don't care what state you're from down here, right? It's something that we all long for. When you hear the amount of OTC you guys have available up there, it's just unbelievable. Do you think that lends itself to just phenomenal management or or where does that, where does that come from? Well, you know, I think if you ask any hunter who lives in any state in America or any province in Canada, I don't think you'll find one who's like, yeah, our, our state manages game perfectly. Um, and I certainly don't think that, but, uh, they do a pretty good job here and we just, we have a tremendous, uh, abundance of game. Like you can get, I think it's nine of your super 10 in Alberta. Um, and we're talking, you know, some of the biggest mule deer, some of the biggest whitetail, bighorn sheep, uh, there's Boone and Crockett sheep coming out of here every year. Uh, we're just extremely lucky. To, to put, to be yes, frank, you are and, and, and cheaper OTC, right? Remember yeah, that? totally. Like there, there is certain tags. The, the most coveted tag is the Canmore Bozone tag, which takes uh, 10 years to draw that. Um, but you can, if you want, you can go in on foot every year, uh, over the counter and hunt cheap. That's awesome. And People do it every year. There's people killing general uh, general tag sheep every year with a bow. So, so folks are hearing that, right? What does that, if you know, what does that mean for a non-resident, right? Say somebody wants to head north for that opportunity. Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. It's uh, very dependent on what species. The sheep are very protected in the sense that if you're a non-resident, you're going to pay a lot of money. Um, anyone who lives in a province or state with no sheep, knows that if you want to hunt a sheep, it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. And unfortunately that's no different here. Um, but you know, guys can come and get hunter hosted for whitetail, mule deer, shires moose, Canada moose, uh, the Rocky mountain elk, black bear, pronghorn, cougar. There's just so many animals that as an American or someone out of province, you totally can't come here and hunt for not that much. Hmm. I'm about to check that out, man. Ring in some yeah. bells there, buddy. So, uh, Tooth of the arrow, man. Give us a little background. Um, you know, you've you've been on the uh, the podcast uh, train for a little bit here, so I'm sure some of it'll be you know a reiteration of some folks. Uh, but one of the things that 
stands out, right, is, is you're in Canada, but, you know, Tooth of the Arrow is 110% an American company right out of Texas here. So give us some background yeah. on Tooth. Like I tell people, everything about the Amer- uh, everything about the company is American except for me. Um, hopefully, you guys don't hold that against me being up north. But uh, yeah, it's uh, everything is made in Minnesota. Is where the factory is. That's where the boss Luke is from. Luke now lives in Florida, which I can't blame him. The weather beats the hell out of Minnesota. Um, and then the distribution center is in Texas and everything is sourced right from the steel down to the plastic and the packaging is sourced from America. And so I guess, why did they start, you know, what, what makes a guy go, man, I'm going to tinker around in broadheads. Right. And, and we kind of were laughing about that perfection when we first started, right. And, and, and seeking that and the market is, is flooded to be quite honest with you. And there's some great broadheads all the way down to stuff that I don't even know how it made the market. What makes a guy want to jump into that industry? Yeah, man. Like I couldn't agree with you more there. I get my head some days when I scroll through websites, looking at broadheads, um, you know, Luke's dad, design the broadhead and the the design hasn't changed since day one um really uh and you know i've never had a conversation with him about it directly so luke if you forgive me if i'm wrong here but um i know that what they wanted to do was they they thought exactly what we just said the the market is oversaturated with people trying to figure out that next best design and they thought why don't we just keep it simple why don't we make a simple design uh we know the physics of what makes a broadhead fly like a field point let's incorporate that let's make it simple let's make it strong let's make it american and that's what they did how does that feel saying let's make it american (laughs) (laughs) i'm used to it by now i'm sure you are um so it wasn't the perfect broadhead right i mean and and to touch on that again and and for some people it is i shouldn't say it that way um (laughs) But what is the perfect broadhead, right? I mean, we're, we're looking for, you know, good blood trails. We're looking for good, accurate flight. That's the biggest one for me, right? And when I buy a pack of broadheads, it's consistency and build. And I've opened packs of broadheads up, man, and I'm putting them on the scale. And the little scale that I'll use in, on the desk here, you know, I'll give it, you know, plus or minus two on it. Um so within reason, but I've seen some and it's just like, damn, that's almost a grain off. Right. And for some folks, a grain's not going to matter. Um, I've seen, I've seen some go higher, but for me, I want, when I build an arrow, I want my arrow to be just about dead nuts on. If, if something's going to throw it off, I want it to be the amount of glue I put on my fletching, right? Not, not the stuff that I'm paying my hard earned money for, um, when I open the pack. So I go through everything, man. I, I pulled out the calipers and I went, you know, you guys are a four blade design. And I went from, you know, blade to blade one and three and two and four, um, checking the ferrule on all of them, the overall height and everything. Where's my, here we go. Um, and man, I was, so in the last call it three years, um, I've done a few, right. I'm not going to say I've done 10, 15 different broadhead companies, but I've done quite a few and, uh, folks, tooth of the arrow ranked in the top three in terms of consistency and build, you know, with overall dimensions, blade to blade, ferrule length, um, thickness, the whole nine. And the thing that, that got me the most was the grain weight. Um, that grain weight was less than 0.04 difference. And this is two packs of 125s, 
Uh, I got the S series XL and then the regular S series. Um, why don't we talk about that real quick? I'll, I'll digress for a second and, and let you talk about the offerings and then we'll get into some more of that. Sure. Yeah. I want to go back to that. Um, but really regarding our broadhead, the, the different ones we offer, like I said, the design hasn't really changed since day one. Uh, we've just made it better. We offer the V series, which is vented and the S series, which is completely solid. Um, all the broadheads are four blade, um, milled from a solid bar of steel. So, uh, no replaceable blades, which, you know, some guys don't like that. We love it because less moving parts means less can go wrong. Um, but really, you know, the difference between the vented and the solid solid, it's going to be a little bit quieter in flight. Maybe it'll wind plane a little bit more at distance or in a heavy wind shot, uh, the vented, I haven't had a lot of issues with it making noise in the air, but the nature of it is a vented head is going to make more noise than a solid head. So we designed a broad head that we, we can have the best of both worlds in your quiver at all times. What I do is I carry some vented and some solid in my quiver because if I'm taking, you know, a 60 yard shot in the window here, which sometimes that's the only shot you get, then I'll probably put the vented one on. Whereas if I'm up in a white tail or a bear stand here, 20 yard shot, it's dead calm. I'll just put the solid one on and they all fly exactly the same. You know, it's, it's funny that, that you say that, right? So, so you're a little anal retentive with your, with your gear and your setup too, right? Because a lot of folks yeah. aren't going to even worry about it. They're just going to put whatever broadhead they have on there and they're going to take the shot. Right. Um, but you're looking for that tuft of hair in that shot, right? You want that accuracy and you don't want to see that, that wind slip there. Right. Um, a little bit of windage on the wrong animal is going to put you out of that kill zone. So I'm personally not a vented fan. Um, because of the noise and what we tend to call, you know, jump in the string, um, that Doppler effect. And it just scares the living piss out of me. I've, I have some vendors that I was shooting for a little bit and, uh, I just didn't dig them, but not to say it's not, you know, I, I did like your point of, you know, the failure points with the solid broadhead, but then that I go back to the vent there and, there's gonna there's a failure point you know potential on the vented in my opinion so I'm a solid guy that's why when we talked I was like I'll take the solids <laughs> so you want to go back to the spec and the tolerances so I'm sure we'll talk about the manufacturing process and, and then how you guys are getting those tolerances so tight and so consistent yeah I just wanted to mention about that you know there's there's a lot of broadheads on the market that you'll find that are almost perfect in that sense, in the tolerances. But there's a, a lot of those broadheads, you know, you're paying a hundred or more, more dollars per pack or per broadhead. And that was another big thing that Luke wanted with the company is to make a damn near perfect broadhead that everyone can afford. Mm -hmm. That, okay. <laughs> so that that goes back one more step in that, in, in me saying that you guys rank, you know, in, in my book, top three in terms of me, you know, checking that, um, you know, QCing it for for my bench or my arrows. Um, so that top three includes some high dollar manufacturers. Um, and there's a couple that are, you know, top five for me that are that are in the same price point. But to see you guys come in at that price point with that man was uh, it was pretty impressive, dude. I don't expect to see that on the scale because that's where I see the most variance in builds uh, is on the scale. Most times when I pull the calipers out and I go through that, um, it, it's 
it's pretty good. Uh, but the scale is always a telltale for me. And that was just like, wow. Yeah. You know, a large part of that comes from, uh, just the manufacturing process. They start, if anyone wants to go on our website, I, I think it's on our homepage. You can see a picture of, it starts on literally a solid bar of steel and they, it's like they're sculpting a broadhead out of this solid bar of steel. And then it goes to heat treating and sharpening and whatnot. Uh, a lot of other companies that are making one piece broadheads, they do injection molding, which is just, uh, it's a little bit weaker, uh, a bit more prone to breaking. You can get air pockets uh, and the tolerances will be, uh, will be worse on those. So that's really where that tight tolerance thing comes from. So the difference in, in, you know, something like a, uh, you know, I'm going to call it a pot metal. I'm not putting that crap on my carbon, yeah. <laughs> um, but your edge retention, right. The potential for failure with those air pockets. I mean, even, you know, even the cracks that come in into the hardening process when they're doing that, um, that, that we're not going to see if they're not, uh, you know, QAing uh, like they should be, that's going to end up in your, you know, 35, $40 pack of broadheads. Yeah, totally. That's, that's right. And, you know, there's a lot of companies out there making broadheads like that who have, you know, a big name behind them, a big archery group behind them, pushing them. And there's a lot of people who are afraid to try a smaller company because it's not what everybody's shooting. It's not what takes up 80% of the shelf space at Cabela's. Um, so I always urge people just go out and try other stuff because you just don't know what's out there. And unless you really look into look deep into how your broadhead is made just because it's made by a big company doesn't really mean a lot right does it does it mean that it's uh cream of the crop um not necessarily and you know and just playing devil's advocate in that right it's shot placement you can you can put the worst broadhead on your arrow if you choose to do so um and kill an animal. I mean, you know, without a doubt. Right. Um, but there's always that risk of a bad shot that when hitting catastrophic failure, you know, upon hitting that animal. Uh, and that's something that we don't want to experience. I mean, the worst to me would be having that thing hit bone and, uh, see those blades come off and then that animal runs away and, and has a slow death. Uh, I want something that I know is going to survive penetration, you know, through bone. Um, you know, we, and we talk shoulder a lot, right? We're not, yeah. uh, unless I have a rifle in my hand, I'm not aiming for the shoulder, right? I'm, I'm just behind that center mass, you know, a shoulder, center mass, the animal behind that shoulder. So it's really a, it's an interesting topic, right? And, uh, you know, single bevel, I, I, I'm a single bevel guy and, and for, I am too, believe it or not. Yeah. For good reason. Um, I do have these on my arrows uh, because we're in turkey season right now. And I said, well, if you can drop that Tom and that Tom doesn't get to book it with that arrow, it's pretty good, man. Turkeys, I mean, shot placement on turkey is critical, critical, critical. Um, so if you could do it with that on a turkey or with this on a turkey, I'm sure it can take out just about anything. But what's your opinion of that whole argument about, you know, like we're talking, you know, the pot metal or, or this, that injection, um, versus something that's durable as tooth of the arrow and versus bone. Versus bone, I mean, you can't be something that starts solid and finishes solid, really. Um, and, and, you know, like to your point about accuracy, I tell people that all the time. I always like to say, 
you could throw a stick at the animal and if you hit it in the right spot, it'll die. Obviously that's a bit of a, bit of a jump, but seriously, you can put a field point through an animal and if you hit him in the lungs, he's going to go the same distance as if you put a, you know, a two inch broadhead through him, right? Nothing survives to go through the lungs. So when you're looking at different, different broadheads, there's trade-offs with everything, you know, uh, I'm a single bevel guy as well. And I've been pushing for that in the company since I, since I started working for them and, uh, like a two blade single bevel. And all I can say on that is stay tuned. Um, but like, you can't take a four blade broadhead like ours and say, it's going to penetrate as good as a, as a two blade. It just doesn't. But then you take our broadhead and, and say, okay, well, how does it fly compared to that? You know, how, how does it punch through a shoulder compared to other designs? How does it do this, this, right? You, it's everything's a trade off. And like to what we were talking about before, before we started recording here, everyone's out there wanting this perfect broadhead. And I'm never going to come out and say that ours is perfect because I don't believe a perfect broadhead exists. So, you know, going back to the two bevel, right, is, is you know, the last, I don't know, call it year. I think it was last year they really hit. Um, around this time is even some of the, a lot of the, um, single bevel two blade companies came out with the single bevel bleeders on their broadheads. Uh, and for good reason, right? Because people were complaining about blood trails and, and things like that. Um, so there are downsides to both sides of this. And I just want to make that clear. Right. And one of the things, and dude, I never, I wouldn't, I shouldn't say I never, I never say I do it, but I took a, a half inch sheet of ply and I go, you know what? Let me just see because shooting foam with a broad hit, you just don't, unless it's a single bevel and you can feel that rotation as you pull it out and you can see the twist, you just don't get it with a three or four blade, right? It's like, okay, it just, it cut nicely. But when you punch this and I, and I didn't have any hide, so I just put something else in front of it, but I won't, I won't talk about my testing that way. Um, this doesn't really give a four blade slice. I mean, this thing is like damn near squared up and opened. I mean, it was, it was like, holy crap. So if you're concerned with blood trails, um, it was, it was impressive, man, um, to see. So the one inch, the one inch is a good size hole. I mean, it's, it's probably one inch across, right? The XL, um, which is, what is that? One an inch, inch and three eighths or three sixteenths? Yeah. That hole was just massive. It was like, good Lord, man. And that's what made me go, you know what? I'm going to put this on and chase turkey um, and, and see, you know, if I get a bird in front of me at 40 yards, this thing is done. It was just impressive, man. Yeah, totally. Like, that's what I like to tell people too about our heads. Um, if you live in a rural area, go shoot a stop sign or take an old cow scapula or something, shoot it. And you're, you're going to see it literally punches those freaking square. Yeah, out of whatever. And I, I love that. Um, the one inch head, you know, I don't think there's a reason for a compound guy to be shooting a one inch head um, of our design because they all fly the same, uh, you know, at compound speeds, shoot the bigger one, man. Why not? The, the one inch heads are really geared towards the, um, the crossbow guys and they fly really well out of crossbows. Um, but you know, then I, I notice a lot out in Pennsylvania particularly is a state where everyone wants the one inch, but they're shooting like 20 yards out of the tree stand at whitetails all the time. So I get it. Um, <clears throat> but 
but yeah, man, that was, that that's the key of the design that really hooked me when I was just applying for pro staff was that I found a cow scat. No, I think it was a horse scapula and I shot through it and it was like a freaking square. Yeah, it's nuts. You have to shoot something with these. It's uh, a, <clears throat> it's impressive. I mean, when you see it, and like I said, I'm a single bevel guy and I'm stubborn, right? I mean, I'll, I'll try things out, but I very rarely change from what's working. And, uh, yeah, I got them. Like I said, I put it, well, they're right here right now, but they're in my quiver last weekend as I was out there, you know, trying to call turkeys off a of private, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh. so talk about the design a little bit, how'd they come up with the design? What makes it different? Um, you know, why, why does it stand out from other four blade? Well, you know, like I said earlier, it's, it's very simple. If you look at her head, it's just, it's a very simple design. It's literally four blades and a solid piece of steel. Um, the biggest component behind the design and why it flies good, and I very rarely hear people say they can't get it to fly, which I usually chalk up to be a tuning issue or a spine issue, um, is that it's a weight-centered design. So depending on the model ahead you get, but the 100-gram standard head, it's 91% of the weight is focused dead center with your arrow. So it's in the ferrule. And that only leaves 9% of the weight on the blades. Um, and because of our heat treating process, that doesn't matter. The blades still remain super strong. And uh, at the end of the day, that's what's going to make. That's why a, a mechanical broadhead flies so good because it's compact. It's in line with your arrow and the blades aren't trying to steer your arrow at all. You see some of these broadheads out there, fixed blades that are, um, you know, they're really big, wide fixed blade, but they have an aluminum ferrule, which is very light and steel blades. Those steel blades with that aluminum ferrule, you're, it's like putting fletching on the front of your arrow, basically. So we wanted to get away from that entirely. And uh, yeah, that's really the core of the design. Yeah, you shouldn't even have, in my opinion, you shouldn't even, I mean, unless you're chasing real small body, you know, coos or something, small white dales down south, you shouldn't even have aluminum sitting out the front. I mean, it's the business end of, of your killing, right? I mean, you want the best component that your money can buy right? That's available to you out on the front of that thing. Um, yeah. it's, it's an absolute no brainer to me. So one of the things that's interesting in, in broadheads, right? Is, and I'm kind of a one and done guy. I got broadheads that I shot a dozen years ago that still have pig blood and fat on them. Um, but let's talk about, you know, resharpening, um, <clears throat> what makes it easy to resharpen things like that. Uh, what's the Rockwell hardness of it? And, and if we need to, we could talk about the Rockwell hardness and, and what that means to the broadhead. Man, I wish I brought my spec sheet, but I'm on, I'm not on my work computer, so I don't have the spec sheet up here. So okay. I can't answer that. Um, but uh, regarding the resharpening and shooting them multiple times, I shot multiple animals with the same broadhead and I've noticed no difference um, in how they perform. I'll actually tell you a quick story. The first animal I ever shot with the tooth of the arrow, I was just out late season here in Alberta trying to kill a white-tailed doe just for some meat. And uh, we don't make it anymore, but a few years ago, we used to make a, a practice broadhead, so it was just unsharpened. I don't know how this ended up in my quiver. Clearly, I just made a stupid mistake. But I shot this thing. I shot this doe at like 25 yards, complete pass through, 
She runs 25 yards, does the wobble, falls down, great blood trail. And I pick up my arrow and I'm like, holy crap, I shot her with a practice head. It wasn't even anywhere near sharpened. You know, you, like you couldn't cut a piece of bread with that thing. Um, and that's when I, I emailed the, the company. I was like, hey, I want to be on your pro staff. These things are awesome. Um, so that, that kind of comes from that milling process though, right? Because th- that's milled from, you know, basically the tip down and there's probably what half an inch or so um, of blade. Oh no, it's actually longer than that. Um, maybe a quarter inch on top that's milled down and yep. then that edge sharpened, right? So I imagine that that was a flat side on that, uh, on that blade side, but you still had that, uh, that from the milling, that point on there that kind of starts that blade. Yeah, exactly. It starts the blade, and when you have um, you know forward momentum and your and your veins are the only thing steering your arrow, that thing's going to keep going straight through, and that's exactly what happened. Heck yeah. Um, you know, I've been always of the mindset like just put a new broadhead on, much like you. When, you, when you're hunting something else, they're not that expensive. You know, you spend thirteen hundred bucks on a new bow, but you won't put a new broadhead on your arrow, like. I like a brand new one, but a lot of guys don't. So we do make a sharpener that's set to our blade angle and it's, it's idiot proof. You can't screw it up. They sharpen up, uh, they sharpen right back to like they are from the factory. And I've played a lot with that. And it you, you just offered some challenge out there to some guy. Cause some guy will absolutely screw yeah. it up. <laughs> yeah, that's so, right. so that sharpener is two inch stones set at the, set at the angle of the blade. And you're basically, you're sharpening two at once as you're honing that in there. Yeah. Right. And so it's, yeah. it's a fine stone, a little gun oil or, or sharpening oil, honing oil. Yeah. Gun oil. I've even done it with water. You can do it dry. Um, gun oil, I think is best. I put it on the end of an arrow and just so I have a bit of grip and sharpen it up. Good to go. So what kind of, if a guy is doing that or what have you seen in terms of life out of the ones that you've shot multiple animals with? You know, that's a good question. I haven't heard anything from all the people I've talked to. I've never heard anyone saying they shot one right till it wore out. And I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good question feel like you could go a long ways on them. I've weighed them before and after sharpening and there's no difference. Um, of course, scale tolerance is a thing, but at that rate, who cares? That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're talking, I don't even know if you'd be, you know, a 100th coming off yeah. of after a few honings, you know what I mean? That that's, it's negligible at best and never in any issue with them because of the solid build. Uh, cracking at the feral i've seen that before too in in some air, uh, some broadheads um right at the top of your insert you'll see that thing crack off but it's typically hitting something hard on the outside on the offside yeah, I've never, uh, never had that um i've broken blades like uh, i won't lie i've broken the one blade i broke um while hunting was i was hunting ibex in spain I shot this Ibex at like 30 yards. It went through behind the near shoulder, uh, slightly cording towards out the opposite shoulder, full pass through. And then I went and pulled the arrow out and it was like stuck in like some really rocky stuff. And I pulled it out and there was a blade busted off, but you know, going through a scapula and then another 30 yards beyond that, I'm not going to complain. Um, the only other issues I've had are I shoot into a big pit of sand. Um, I, I like to put a, I put a tennis ball in the middle of a big sand pit and that dulls the blades pretty quick on anything you'll shoot. I mean, 
sand. So, uh, but in hunting scenarios, I've only broken one blade. And that, I mean, that, that's not even, I don't even know if you can count that, man. You got your pass through. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I'm sure somebody will say, hey, I broke this, but you know, I mean, if it passes through, you killed your animal and you hit rock, man, it is, it, it kind of is what it is at that point. Yeah, that's right. Like how many times do you hear a guy come home? He's super pumped up about his animal, but he goes, ah, but you know what ruined the whole thing is I broke, broke my broadhead. My <laughs> <laughs> $10, you know, $35 a packet's about, you know, well, $12 uh, yeah. a broadhead. I mean, and honestly, in, in the market right now, that is pretty inexpensive, man. I mean, considering all things considered, right. And where we're at, um, I, I got to imagine you guys have been looking at it with your eyebrows raised for a little while now with everything going on, um, the cost of steel and whatnot and, and holding that price point, man, that's a, that's a solid deal. I don't care. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it costs, uh, it costs a bit for more for me to get them from the States before I was working for the company. And, you know, it's even then it's not a bad deal. No, not at all. Especially if something, you know, you could rehome that thing and, and keep flinging them. Um, so, so what else sets it apart, man? Give us the, give us the proverbial elevator pitch. If a guy is like, I don't want to hear anything, but why should I shoot this broadhead? What's your, what's your song and dance there, so to speak? No, probably be repeating myself a lot, but you know, it's a, it's a four blade, one piece milled from a solid bar of steel made in America. That's it. I, th I think a, a lot of the made in America is going to, that's going to turn some heads right now. That is a uh, definitely a positive for a lot of folks, me included, uh, when it comes oh, yeah. to that, man. Yeah, so, we just rebranded our packaging too, which even promotes that image more. It's definitely a big thing. Even in Canada, people would rather buy something made in America than from China or Taiwan or whatever. It's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's... I won't even go down that road <laughs> as much as, as much as it's tugging at me by American. That's all I got to say. So man, let's yeah. talk about the nine out of the nine of the 10 of, or the, uh, yeah, nine of the Superman. Um, how's that looking? And, and what, uh, have you projected that out? Does it, do you know when you think you project to hit that, uh, that 27? You know, I haven't projected it out too much. It's obviously I think about it, but you know, the super slam's a lifelong goal. That's a tough thing. Um, financially more than anything, you know, some of the animals aren't that hard, you know, you can go, you know, I spent the coos deer is not that hard. The pronghorn is not that hard. You book a hunt, you go kill one. Recently I did, uh, I did the doll sheep a couple of years back, that's a hard hunt and expensive. So, um, the goat hunt, uh, the mountain goat, I did that in BC two years ago, nine days out there, just, you know, boots get wet on day two and they don't dry out till you go home. That's pretty miserable. Um, but yeah, I've got nine. I should have a few more, but you know how it is with bow hunting. Um, realistically i say if i can get the whole thing done by the time i'm 50 i'll be thrilled yeah um, i mean even if a guy can go and take one animal a year that's a 30-year goal yeah absolutely i uh spent some time with dennis dunn and he did it with uh i know dennis quite well yeah do you yeah so he yeah. uh he did it with traditional man and and he and i were supposed to record and i'm trying to finish the book um 
it is just what an amazing goal, right? And and a lot of folks don't even realize they're doing it as they're doing it. And then they're like, oh, this is what I'm on track for. And that was, you know, the case with Dennis. And uh, yeah. oh man, oh man, some of the stories in that book are just phenomenal. It's oh, just yeah. an amazing thing. But I think it took him, I think it took him 30 some odd years to do it. Yeah. And that's totally realistic. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, I mean, he's a legend in the barebow scene. He did a little bit barebow compound, but I mean, mostly recurve. That's unbelievably impressive. To take a white tail doe with your recurve is impressive. Um, Nathan Anderson, he got the whole thing. He got the whole super slam with a longbow, which is crazy. Um, good friend of mine, Frank Noska, he's a compound archer. He's working on his third super slam with a bow now. That's crazy. It's nuts. Man. It's nuts, man. How long it takes some of these guys, Tom Miranda, um, TV guy. Um, he, I think it took him four trips to get his desert sheep, which when you think about the cost and the time on that, that's a commitment. That's, that's the part that I think gets most people right. Is, is that re-upping on the missed opportunity, um, you know, on that hunt that you, you know, you might've saved money for 10 years, you know, five, six years, guys are refining their, their homes and stuff to, to get that done. And I don't think people realize it, it is, it is an endeavor, um, of commitment more than anything, an endeavor of commitment. It's just, it's crazy to think what it takes to get it done, man. Yeah. You know, I, I think about that a lot and it, it's really unfortunate in my opinion that it, it is expensive as it is to go get some of these animals. Um, you know, there was a time where I know my dad went to Iran in like probably 2005 and he killed five sheep in Iran for like 20 grand for five sheep, which nowadays. Oh, one's one 40, 50? 40, 50, yeah. 60. So, you know, I get it because the prices go up because there's people out there willing to pay for it. But then the organizations also complain and say, well, why aren't there more young people involved? Well, I can tell you why. So it's really unfortunate, but you know, to anyone who does want to step out of their state, step out of their province and, and go do some of this stuff. I always say, you know, there's a lot of animals you can go hunt for not very much money. You can go, if you're Canadian, go to Wyoming and hunt a pronghorn. That's a totally different scenario than how you're hunting pronghorn here in Alberta it's an amazing hunt and it won't cost you that much. You can go hunt Sitka deer in Alaska. It's not that much. And it's practically sheep hunting. There's just so many options. And I, I still urge people to get out and do it. Even if, you know, you don't see yourself hunting a desert sheep or a stone sheep at some point. I mean, yeah. If money, if money is the limiting factor, right. You, you, you essentially create your own slam. You chase your dream, your passion, your animals, um, and create that. Right. I mean, it's, it's all a perspective really. Uh, if you're not yeah. looking for record book or anything like that, you know, or the there's glory in it, in my opinion. Um, oh, yeah. You know, I might. Yeah. Set those goals. Go get after them. Yeah. You know, the you know, the Grand Slam Club. Ovens, that's a that's an organization I'm I'm pretty involved in. They created the Super 10, which I'm a huge fan of because it's like your first milestone towards the Super Slam. 
but it's very, very attainable. Um, it's basically one animal of every category. So you kill one sheep, which is obviously a big expense and a big time commitment, but it's one. And a lot of people, if you save and you really want it, you can get one. You kill one sheep, one goat, one caribou, bear, elk, moose, deer, and then the auxiliaries are either a muskox or a bison, a cougar, a pronghorn, and a goat. And, you know, that's a huge variety. If you've hunted all those 10 things with a bow, you've done a lot yeah, of that. Heck yeah. Spend and some it's time very it. attainable. Mm -hmm. Very attainable for people really under most financial circumstances. So I, I like to tell people about that too. Yeah, that's a, that's a hell of a trophy room. I don't care how you shake a stick at that one. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's a great trophy room. What, uh, totally. where's the Wolverine fall into it? Wolverine's not a big game considered by Grand Slam. Uh, I, I don't know what SCI does. SCI might consider it a big game, but the Wolverine's not uh, not for Grand Slam. That was one of the one of the most impressive stories <laughs> with uh, when I talked to Dennis was his uh, was his Wolverine. That's such a cool story, and not many folks yeah. get them, man. <clears throat> not many folks ever see one, <laughs> let alone bear one. Yeah, right? with a barebow. <laughs> With a bare bone. Yeah. Craziness. Yeah. That's so freaking yeah, cool. Well, and now to get the Super Slam, the Quebec Labrador Caribou, which I was so lucky to get one on the last year they were allowing it. But then they shut off hunting in 2017 for the Quebec Caribou. So they had to fill in the 29th slot with something. And now you have to kill a freaking wolf with your bow to get it. And that's what? a challenge. Oh, man. <laughs> Dang. Yeah, that uh, go to Idaho, man. There's some there's some folks that got to kind of figure it out with the numbers there in Idaho. Oh, uh, kill them. So how's, how's that caribou herd doing up there? Because I know that there's a couple man that were just just in in bad bad danger. Um, and there's been a, yeah. some really good presses over the last two three years to help those herds and do some birthing and artificial insemination and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, if any caribou expert is listening to this, I apologize if I get some stuff wrong here. But what I've been hearing just from the community is that it's not really a matter of if, but when another caribou species won't be allowed, we won't be allowed to hunt them. Um, I mean, there is six caribou in Canada. Uh, you already couldn't hunt the Peary caribou, which in my opinion are the coolest. They're like almost pure white. They're small super cool look those up um couldn't hunt them for a number of years quebec caribou now you couldn't hunt them since 2017 from what i hear likely the woodland will be next which is out in newfoundland and i'm working on booking that right now because i want to get that the caribou the barren ground which is up in alaska and the mountain caribou which is uh northwest territories yukon from what i hear they're doing very well and again that's an affordable yeah. ish animal that you can totally go hunt you know get a combo hunt go kill a massive Alaska moose and a caribou um those ones from what i hear are doing pretty good but out it seems like out east it's it's tough it's getting harder the uh my buddy did uh diy uh barren ground for about 2700 bucks he did it two years in a row because it was so cheap and uh successful both hunts um just just an amazing opportunity when you set back because i think that's part of it right as folks look at that and go man um you know that's my dream hunt right air quote 
Um, but they think that money is the limiting factor. And then you see this guy that, you know, he's a blue collar guy making ends meet and he goes and does it two years in a row because it was that good to him. Uh, it's pretty freaking impressive, man. Man, caribou are my favorite big game to hunt. I've killed two of them. I have the Quebec in the mountain. I killed a really good mountain too. It was uh, 396. Um, and like, if you're on the fence right now about, should I spend the money, go hunt a caribou, go hunt a caribou. You won't regret it. They're so different than anything you've ever hunted. In my experience, they're not that hard to get close to. They're very curious. Um, where I've hunted them, they've likely never really seen people before. And they kind of look at you and, you know, they take a few steps towards you and then jump back. But if you're just calm and you don't act like a wolf, um, cause that's their only real predator, you can get close. So I killed my first one at 55 yards and my second one at 66, which I mean, those are pokes, but you know, when you're talking completely open country, that's pretty close to yeah. just stalking 300 yards. That's, that's my, that's my dream hunt, man, is barren, barren ground archery, man. That, uh, there's something about that, that just fires me up. I just can't pull away from elk long enough to, uh, make it happen, but I'm going to do it in the next couple of years before. Oh man, if you love elk hunting, kill a caribou. It's, they're, they're not quite as big body wise as an elk, but just the, the antler configuration, yeah. it's just like something out of a book. You know, they're just so unbelievable. The, the, the thing that scares me is, I, I, I don't care if I get any guff about it, but um, is that I am very picky, <laughs> right? So I have this thing with elk, right? I have okay. this class animal or caliber of animal, right? The, the trophy hunter thing um, that I want to kill. And if I have to spend an entire season chasing that animal or looking for that animal, I'll walk away without notching the tag. I'm scared of that traveling up to Alaska and what that, what my mindset in that means, right? Cause I have this vision of this double shovel, <laughs> you know what I mean? Just sweeping monster. And, uh, that's one of the only reasons outside of September that has really kept me away from it a little bit. Yeah. You know, that's the nature of, booking hunts and unfortunately there's so many of these animals we want to hunt that you can't hunt them alone you have to go through an outfitter do your research talk to them get pictures if you're a bow hunter going trying to book a bow hunt talk to them and say hey do you specialize in bow hunting because there's a lot of guys who would be like yeah we can take you don't do it with those guys go with the guys who are like yeah we take a lot of bow hunters yeah i had uh one of the gentlemen i talked to I was talking to him and, you know, I'm telling him I want to bow hunt him, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, man, you know, I'd really suggest you bring a rifle. (laughs) And I was like, okay. And that was kind of my response, right? Okay. This may not be the guy for me because that's not what I want to do. I want to go up there. I have a goal in mind and I want to go chop at that goal. I don't want to, you know, day six, take the easy way out. I'd rather suffer through day seven and, and have that long, miserable jaunt home. Um, I don't know if I'd rather that, but it's about the goal, right? It's about accomplishing what you set out to do. Yeah, totally. And, you know, Tom Hoffman, super slammer, bow hunting legend, if anyone knows him, he once told me successful bow hunters don't take a rifle on a bow hunt. And that's entirely true. That's it. In every, um, and, and, you know, I always go on these hunts too, and I, I want a boot and crocs animal, you know, but 
how often does that happen? You know, I've got one boon and crocodile animal. It's that mountain caribou. Um, you go and you need to, you want to kill something. The mindset I've learned you need to have on these types of hunts is you kill a respectable animal because you'll never be sad with yourself if you go home and you passed up on a bunch of spikers or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, or with the caribou, they call them hockey sticks because they just come up and, and sweep a little bit. <laughs> yeah. And there's nothing else. So they call them the hockey sticks. That's a caribou spike. Um, you'll never be sad with yourself if you go home and you didn't shoot one of those, but you know, to go on a hunt like that, kill a respectable animal. It's something you ought to be proud of. Heck yeah. That's it. Well, yeah. shoot, man. Why don't you, uh, <coughs> excuse me. Why don't you drop all the, uh, contact info for tooth of the arrow, man. And if you want to, uh, why don't, yeah, let's definitely share yours, right. So people can put a name to the face and then kind of look at, uh, look at that proverbial resume, uh, <clears throat> via social, man. Sure. Yeah. I'm, uh, hauk.bowhunter uh, it's h-a-u-c-k dot bowhunter on instagram uh i'm private but that's i don't know i'm just like that but follow me i'll let you follow me i'll follow you back um tooth of the arrow broadheads on instagram facebook we're just getting our youtube account going um yeah check us out we really appreciate it yeah i appreciate the time man i appreciate uh you know you, when you reached out i was like I want to do it, but please send me something so I can, you know what I mean? I, for me, it's, it's me putting my money where my mouth is. Right. And I would, you know, I would have gladly bought them. Uh, so I appreciate you guys sending those to me to test out and, and now running around with them in the quiver um, for this. Uh, what is my first resident season? I'm sort of still non-resident, but screw them. Uh, CPW makes you wait six months. So, um, but no, I appreciate it, man. And I look forward to uh, following you guys along and, and following you in particular and watching the rest of that slam come together, man. Sure. It's, I'll be gone. <laughs> I'll be dead and gone before you get it. But um, well, yeah. I appreciate it. You know, I, I was going to ask um, what your experience was when you when you got the sample heads and shot them. Obviously, you like the tolerances. And if they're in your quiver today, that means good things. But I was going to ask you. Yeah, no, I, I, so my bows are tuned. Um, they're always tuned. I shoot quite a lot. Um, you know, since I moved, I, I've been a couple times a week, which is kind of odd for me. Um, but I just, I threw the target out, dude. I started at 30 yards and shot them. I was like, okay, that's right. And went immediately out to 50 and uh, saw no difference in anything shooting out to 50. Um, didn't like how they treated my, my foam block. Uh, very well. <laughs> so I went and I grabbed a little, uh, little cheapy layered foam thing for $40 and, and shot a bunch with them, um, before I committed to taking them out on this, this, uh, turkey, turkey opener with me, but, um, they fly very, very nice. I didn't see any difference in my flight. I'm anal. So I shoot two bows. I have my 80 pound bow, which is my elk bow. And then I have my 70 pound bow, which is my everything else bow. Uh, I shoot at the same trajectory, the same FPS, 273. Um, and I mean, no difference, man. My windage was right on. I didn't have to tweak the sight, not a notch or anything. So it was it was impressive um, to shoot them. But like I said, for me, the the spec tolerances, knowing what goes into manufacturing and then understanding that not everything is perfect when it comes off the mill. Uh, and then when it goes to sharpening, um, 
even more so, right? So what it told me about the company is that you guys are QA in your product before it leaves. And this isn't one, a single pack of broadheads, right? I only got two. Uh, so everybody understands that. But to see the tolerance be so tight between six broadheads out of two different packs, uh, basically in a different configurations, the, the regular S series uh, and then the XL, to see those tolerances pretty much in weight match up across that was, I was impressed, man. So that that's why they're in my quiver. Um, it's pretty... I'll send you a picture of all the broadheads that <laughs> that I have um, in in one of my little Rubbermaid totes um, because I'm so anal about it, and it, it goes to that thing, right? If it if it ain't broke, don't fix it, kind of thing. Yeah. And what I have been shooting has just been performing for me, right? I didn't have any reason to put these on um, outside of testing. But it's in my head, it says a lot that I took them into the woods, right? It, it was it was pretty impressive what I saw. And then that that I'll call it, a you know, the blood trail on the wood. I mean, when that thing squared up, I was uh, I was blown away. I was blown away by that. It was a trip to see that. I've never seen I've never seen that. Man, I'm so glad to hear that. Um, that's been exactly my experience. And the you know hundreds of people i've talked to you know 99 percent of them that's their experience too and you know if that one percent if you're if you're someone out there who just kind of feels only mechanical shoot really good with your setup i get it i've been there too get your get your bow checked out get your arrows checked out you might have the wrong spine your arrow rest might be off you know get it checked out because you can get any bow to shoot a good fixed blade broadhead rate with your field points every time. And I really appreciate you, uh, you providing that sentiment. Yeah, absolutely, man. Like I said, I, I appreciate what, what goes into these, um, assuming, right. I'm assuming I know, um, but it's evident in performance. And then, like I said, those tolerances that I saw so good on you, tooth of the arrow. So everybody, uh, if you're interested, tooth of the arrow.com, um, there's always get on the mailing list. There's always some kind of discount code going on. Uh, if you get on that mailing list, stuff's flying out. Um, it, it's worth the money. Um, if you're into four blades, you should be shooting these broadheads for sure. If you want to test yeah, them we'll, out before season, get on it. We'll actually, we can set up a discount code. So uh, I'll give you that. Okay. Guys, check the, uh, check the description below this podcast and you'll find, I don't know what it is yet, but we'll put the discount code for 10% off in the, oh, in the description. There you go. All right, that's even more reason. Cool, man. Well, I appreciate the time, dude. I'll let you get back to it, man, and I'll uh, I'll be in touch with you. Okay, man. Thanks. Thank Thanks. You. Appreciate the time. Yes, sir. Take care.